ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. It's another jam-packed episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Joining us today is Daily Maverick 168 editor Heather Robertson, and we're talking all things governance. Here's what's coming your way. Whether it's climate change or simply cyclical weather patterns, the recent Cape Town floods have left the Western Cape shaken. So, how prepared is South Africa for more extreme weather events? It's been 10 years in the making, but the National Development Plan is very much dead on arrival. Quite frankly, if you fail on eight of your nine goals, then right across the whole spectrum, what's the consequence management of the politicians from the top to the bottom and then the civil servants? Then former Thabo Mbeki's latest address has us sitting up. But is the ANC even listening? Heather reflects on the Mandela family legacy and South African workers have a little bit more spending money, according to a recent report. Let's get into it. Hi, Heather. Thanks so much for joining us again today. It's been a while since our last chat. Yeah, long time. Good to, good very to be long time. This. <laughs> so let's get straight into our very first story. And it's been a conversation point throughout last week. Parts of the Western Cape recently saw devastating storms, which left several parts completely flooded. And I know both Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche have long been reporting on climate change matters. And a lot of people are linking this to climate change. But yeah. then there are also those who are saying, you know, this is just normal, despite it not feeling normal. I know you had a lovely piece on Daily Maverick where you spoke to meteorologists and other experts about what exactly happened, why these floods were just so destructive. So we have a special section dedicated to climate change to call our burning planet. Mm. And one of our senior writers from the Ethan van Diemen interviewed a meteorologist and also a climate scientist. We need to be cautious about saying that everything is due to climate change. What Ethan found from his interview with these two scientists is that the cause of this floods, it's not directly climate change. The fact is that our Western Cape is prone to these kind of very variable weather patterns and changes. So basically, they're saying that it's a cut-off low-pressure system at high altitudes that developed along the West Coast that actually led to this, and that this is not uncommon. And this normally happens during a change over season. So while climate change is not directly responsible, it's in a way global warming can be attributed. And so places that are prone are going to be even more prone because of global warming. And we know the rising sea tide. These weather events, even though they're not directly linked to climate change, it does open up that conversation about how prepared we are for destructive storms and droughts. There were warnings, hey? The mm. Weather Service did send out level nine warnings. I think in this instance, the, the Western Cape government did do its work and warnings were sent out. But people just wanted to keep on moving, for example. Mm. Even though there was this, you couldn't move in this rain. The Western Cape government in this instance was prepared. Other provinces, you know, maybe not, I mean, like for example, Eastern Cape, not so prepared. And the Eastern yeah. Cape, as we know, very troubled. I mean, the, and that's because the, the government doesn't work that well. In terms of climate-related issues, it always feels to me like 
national government is racing to catch up and it takes them far too long to respond. I mean, if you look at KZN and the floods that happened yeah. there, it's still a matter of just fixing basic infrastructure and it hasn't happened in a lot of those regions yet. It still carries the scars of those floods. In dysfunctional provinces, you know, nightmares like happened there. I mean, that, that poor province had the 2021 looting and riots and then boom, it, it, you know, it was hit by the flood. And it requires proper leadership, functional officials who are not just cadres and friends of friends, you know, people who are equipped to know what to do. And quite frankly, in provinces like KZN, which have been plagued by ANC infighting, it's a corrupt system. And so it doesn't respond adequately. The ANC proudly announced the National Development Plan 2030 in 2012, a framework aiming to address nine key points. These include unemployment, education, infrastructure, housing, investment, public health, service delivery, corruption and inequality. Ten years down the line, however, the ANC has nothing to show for it. And quite frankly, President Cyril Ramaphosa should hang his head in shame. Let's get straight into the National Development Plan 2030. It's been the pride of the ANC since it was first introduced in 2012. Mm. And unfortunately, based on recent reports, it has turned out to be an epic fail. In short, the plan consists of nine targets which aim to address various issues, including unemployment, education, infrastructure, economic challenges, public health, and various other issues. And just over the last 10 years, we've only reached one of those targets and only by a scrape. Um, and, and that's been improving SA's active labor force. I know it sounds very cynical, but are we surprised by these failures? Well, you know, it's quite ironic that this National Development Plan I mean, I, I'm I'm like wondering what the motive was. Was it like, let's get all these heads together and let's, I think Phil Ramaphosa was part of it, Trevor Manuel. Let's mm. get all these heads together. This is, and this is under the Zuma government. Let's get these heads together. Let's say we're going to do all these things. And then freaking nothing, as we can yeah. see, actually gets done to make sure that these things are achieved. Was the government capable of making it happen? I think with proper management and focus on actually serving and doing what government was meant to do, it could have happened. Definitely. The ANC just became so avaricious that we had this massive billions worth of corruption that we saw, you know, revealed in the Zondo Commission, but no focus on this. And yet every five years, the ANC promises the poor that exactly this in the NDP is actually going to be delivered. Have faith that these words, these beautiful words that are espoused by the anti-politicians are eventually, truly going to be delivered, but not. This NDP is a really sad indictment of the failures of the ANC because I actually think governments can deliver with proper leadership, proper you know, management, like performance management. If you say you're going to do this and if someone that you've hired is not actually doing it, then you face the consequences. Is this consequence management happening in government? Because it should be happening. Because quite frankly, if you failed on eight of your nine goals, then right across the whole spectrum, what's the consequence management of the politicians from the top to the bottom and then the civil servants? Because you've not met your goals. 
that's the big part is there is no accountability throughout this whole process because you've put these targets on a nice document. And I don't know if you've looked at the document. Yeah, I have. Um, you've read it when it, it first out. It's wonderful. It's all very beautifully written and it sounds wonderful and it looks wonderful. But clearly it was just words and it was just, I want to say pie in the sky dreams for them. It's a gimmick for them. That's the sense that I'm getting. I don't think for everyone it's a gimmick. I think the people who wrote this NDP really had all intentions for these nine targets to be met. But right now, where are they? Who took over? The one person who is the common factor that still is remaining is Cyril Ramaphosa. And quite frankly, he's been an incredible disappointment because he's the one person who was involved with this NDP who should be ensuring and pushing through the delivery of this performance objective. Has he? No, not at all, because we don't see it. If he has, we would see it, but he hasn't. He's a weak leader. What has he achieved over these 10 years? As I said, there are some good minds in the ANC. There are good people in the ANC. You know, I don't think the good people in the ANC have the critical mass to make sure that this stuff happens, that these very, very worthy goals are actually achieved. We are the most unequal country in the world, people. This is a problem. It really, really enrages me that a government that has these beautiful, poetic policies can actually get so waylaid by their own greed to not actually put their minds to it and work towards delivering on these policies. Public servants stand up. This was the gist of former President Thabo Mbeki's recent address at the 22nd National Conference of the South African Association of Public Administration and Management. With a sense of frustration, Mbeki made it clear that should the public service sector fail, our country will also fail. The National Planning Commission, who issued the report on the NDP, they're certainly not the only ones, and we're certainly not the only ones who are calling government out for its many failings. We also had former President Thabo Mbeki ripping into the ANC in a very frank manner. He kind of tries to remind the ANC of their failings every year in his speeches, but I really got a sense that he was really frustrated and angry when he was delivering his latest speech. Did you get the same sense on that? Because he was really telling them that you screwed up. Yeah, you know, we was talking to, it was interesting, that speech was to the South African Association of Public Administration and Management. So he's talking mm. to some servants and he's asked them what contribution have they made to stop the decline of South Africa and what contribution can they make to pull us out of this situation? He's got a very good point. Where governments work, they can serve the people. Governments are meant to be the buttress and they're meant to also prevent the private sector from running roughshod over the rights of citizens. If you allow the private sector to just take over, we, ordinary people, are worse off. We need governments. We need proper rules and regulations. Governments, rules and regulations exist for people who actually take advantage of other people. But also in this instance, we have a government who's not protecting the people who are being taken advantage by. That's the problem. So how do we actually ensure that a government that we have, a democratic government, doesn't get waylaid by the various personalities who take over the management of the government? Because I agree with him. You can't allow the private sector to just take over. I mean, a lot of what the Institute of Race Relations and a little bit of the DA and a little bit of the Freedom Front are kind of like pushing towards less government and the private sector. There's a danger in it, in that I don't think that the poorest of the poor will benefit at all. Not that they're benefiting now, but we know why they're not benefiting now. 
because of the corruption within government. We've got to have a politics that I think brings to account the avaricious capitalist class and also the avaricious political class and anyone who does any injustice to anyone else. That's why we have a very strong human rights constitution, which I absolutely fundamentally believe in. So Mbeki is right, but very ironic that Mr. Neoliberalism himself, with his trickle-down economics, is the one calling it out now. Really, if government is to work, government must work. Civil servants have got to do what they're hired to do, and if they don't, they actually should face the consequences. Clearly, Mbeki's speech resonated with a lot of people because yeah. the online response was really strong. I was just wondering, you know, we're all listening, we're all paying attention, but what about government? Are they yeah. even paying attention? Um, will they take any of what he's said to heart? Yeah. It's almost like I get the sense a lot of the times that these really impactful commentary is just kind of thrown into this void and it doesn't land anywhere. It's up to us to digest it, but the people who actually need to hear it are simply not listening. Yeah, because it's not in their interest to listen. Why would you listen to Mbeki when, hey, it's been cool for you? I mean, okay, you've eaten so much that now the state is on the verge of bankruptcy, but like, I don't think it's really sitting. I don't think it's actually landing. The only way that's going to land is if the voters speak and say like, hey, we need new people who are actually going to hold you, you people to account because you are meant to serve us. There was an outpouring of love for Nelson Mandela's granddaughter, Zoleka Mandela, following her death early last week. At the same time, debates around the renaming of William Nickel Drive to Winnie Mandela Drive were gaining traction. But Heather reminds us that despite all of this, it must serve as a reminder that the women of the Mandela family endured unimaginable pain. You actually brought this one as a suggestion uh, amongst many of the others that we've spoken of today. And it was what you referred to as the Mandela dynasty. And it was quite a, a busy week in terms of the family last week. I mean, first we have Zuleika Mandela, who passed away following a very long battle with cancer and really just a, a really difficult life in general. I mean, I read her book, When Hope Whispers, and I was just thinking, geez, she really really, she's just known suffering her whole life. So that was on the one side of it. But then also we had the renaming of William Nickel Drive in Joburg to Winnie Mandela Drive. It's been two very different responses to two women within the Mandela dynasty, as you've called it. So what's your take on the Mandela conversation that's been happening last week? You, you spoke about Zuleika and the suffering that she went through. I think what we need to also take into cognizance is Zuleika's suffering was also Winnie's suffering. We don't take cognizance of the hell that Winnie Mandela went through under the apartheid regime. Winnie Mandela was tortured. Nelson Mandela sent to prison when he was left with their two children, Zinzin Zinani. But she was also in her own right an activist against apartheid. And she was hurt, damaged, broken tortured by the security police, banished to Brandford, banished from her community. So Zuleika's suffering, because remember, Zuleika was raised in that house where her grandmother was tortured and her mother. Their story is a tragic story. It's not a story like the Oppenheimer story. You know, it's, not a, it's a story of a family riven apart by a really unjust minority government and hurt because of that government's fear of what 
that family stood for. So Winnie, as a social worker, did amazing work. She was a true servant of the people, but she was also the whole Stop Pacify thing, I think, turned into a monster by the apartheid regime. The harm, the hurt that we see still today, the disparity, the inequality, let's not forget where it came from. And so I am of the school of thought that William Nickel, who I was kind of reading up, who the hell was William Nickel and why are we fighting for him? Mm-hmm. William Nickel was part of the Brutaport, he was part of that regime, he's part of the people who actually put Mandela in jail who tortured Winnie Mandela, part of the apartheid system. So I agree with that name change. It's symbolic. I think it's really grotesque that the EFF and the ANC are busy outdoing each other to try and lay claim on Winnie Mandela because that's bullshit. But Winnie Mm. Mandela as a figure of a woman who resisted apartheid but also was a social worker who epitomized giving to a community. And, you know, not a saint, not a saint, not an angel, but someone who epitomizes what evil done by inhumane people can do to a person, how it can change a person and harm and damage. So have her name there so that we can be reminded that hopefully never again will politicians be allowed to hurt people and abuse them. People who actually were shining lights of their communities, who were warriors for justice, hurt them and twist them in such a way that they end up doing the things like Mm -hmm. saying strike the match and like put the tires around, you know, anyone who's accused of being a an impimpy, a, a spy. Let's have a road named after Winnie Mandela. Let's make it a major road in Santa. Let's remind everyone. I couldn't have said it any better. That was beautifully put. Mo money, mo money. A recent report shows that South Africans, mostly within the private sector, are earning more. And while that extra bit of cash might not necessarily go far in our current economy, we'll take this win or else we'll just go mad. So I want us to wrap it up with something that actually in my notes while I was preparing, I was trying to think how to frame this next story. And in my notes, I just said it's it's a new story that carries with it a tinge of hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because according to these latest stats from Banks of Africa and TransUnion, South Africans are earning a little bit more than they did a year ago. And I mean, it's been a tough few years, so I think we've earned this win. So I'll take it. It's small, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's interesting. It's it's like, I think of my first salary that I ever had was 200 rand. Um, So that the average income now is like, it's it's like fifteen thousand five hundred seven eight. Yes. Like okay, that's, uh, although I mean I think my probably uh, my two hundred rand um, might have bought a little bit more than what two hundred rand can buy now. Mm. So it is hopeful. What it is hopeful about is that it seems like the private sector, and going back to that early discussion, look is functioning a bit better and is becoming more resilient to load shedding. So basically better planning, using solar generators, et cetera, et cetera, and factoring that into their balance sheets and being able to increase salaries, which is, I think that's pretty positive. And also the S&P Global South Africa Purchasing Managers Index saying that we were above the 50 neutral mark in August for the first time in six months. Also, signaling somewhat better conditions in the private sector and that if this my colleague Nisa Moodley wrote the story that she's saying if this continues then it may be better conditions for more employment and for better remuneration so like hey let's hold on to that little bit of hope <laughs> yeah because I, I said like it's a tinge 
of hope, but gosh, I'm latching onto that tiny sliver <laughs> with <laughs> both hands and curling my feet around it. Gosh, I'm not letting go because <laughs> we need it. We desperately, desperately need any good news because gosh, with inflation and the petrol price and yep. just, you know, servicing debt and all of that and coming out of a what, what I call the COVID carnage, we really, really need some good news right now. So, yeah, so let's hope we, we stick to that and that more jobs are created and people earn even more in, in the next year or so. So, yeah, definitely. So I guess what I'm saying that let's work. We need more work. We need more work that has meaning. We need more work that's going to fix this country. And hell, there's a lot of fixing to be done, so surely there's a lot of work. There should be a lot of work for many more people to help fix it. So we've we got to change our mindsets. Make a country that works. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Heather, it has been such a pleasure chatting to you again. I always, gosh, the passion you bring to these conversations just makes me so happy. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And I really hope we get to chat again soon and that there won't be this massive gap between our chats. <laughs> but it's been great. Thank you so cool. very much. I'm nice chatting to you, Liz. Thanks awesome. very much. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. 